we're old school here. We've done it for so long. That's the thing, you know? I had a Friendster account. I've been doing social media since there was dial-up. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little bit of fun along the way. I want to introduce you, as always, to my co-host and good friend, Chris Boyer. You can find him online at Chris Boyer on Twitter, ChristopherBoyer.com, LinkedIn, and all the other fun social channels out there. Chris, how's it going? Pretty good. Nice to be here today, Reed. And that's Reed Smith, my co-host. And you can find him online at at Reed Smith on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, maybe. I'm not sure if you're on Snapchat, but his website is socialhealthinstitute.com and uh, LinkedIn. Reed, it's, uh, we finally made it to the Baker's Dozen. Baker's Dozen. Maybe the title of the show. Probably not, but that'd be good if it was. <laughs> um, yeah, great to be here. Lots and lots of fun. We rolled over Baker's Dozen. Uh, thanks to all the wonderful lis- listeners out there and all the great feedback that we've gotten. And speaking of listeners and feedback, a uh, couple of um, favors we'd like to ask. First, if you could navigate over to iTunes for us, that would be super helpful. And when you're there, subscribe, rate, and review us. So subscribe to the podcast so you are notified each and every time one of these uh new episodes uh, hits the airwaves or the internet waves or whatever that's called. And uh, while you're there, if you will give us a star review and uh, write a review, that would be super, super helpful. So subscribe so you can find it and rate and review so everybody else can find it. That's right. And if you really find this uh, podcast to be valuable and interesting, please refer it to a friend. Uh, tell a friend about it. Tell others. Maybe send it off to your boss. Um, whoever you know f- you feel might be interested in hearing the two of us having our geek speak for the next you know forty five minutes or so. Yeah. And speaking of that, this is the ever anticipated episode on social media. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, like we mentioned, uh, a lot of really great feedback, and we appreciate that via email, Twitter, LinkedIn, in person, all kinds of things. And one of the episodes that we knew we would eventually get to, one of the topics, I guess, that we knew we would eventually get to, and we've had several people ask us about, because quite honestly, this is how a lot of people ran into us initially uh, Mm -hmm. via the Mayo Clinic social media network or just online or tweet chats or whatever it was. Uh, was the topic of social media in hospitals. And so a lot of people, even though, quite honestly, we probably spend more time in some of the other digital mediums uh, than social, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people still know us as social media uh, slash hospital experts, folks, uh, early early adopters, I, I don't know. Uh, we were just, we were just, uh, Chris and I were just doing a little uh, a trip down memory lane before we started recording and looking at some of the initial uh, tweets we had sent out way back in 2009. 2009. 
yeah, that's when you and I kind of first connected. Or yeah, about, I think it was 2009, or even actually late 2008. We connected over Twitter. That's how we got to know each other. Reed, um, we were chatting about this very topic, the topic of digital and social media and healthcare. And somehow we found each other and we started to chat. And I remember way back then I was you know running a, a video podcast, and uh, eventually we got you on in on one of those and had an interview yep. with you. But I mean, we've been we've been at social media for a very long time we've seen it change and shift over over so many different iterations uh you know we, we were talking about some of the outdated tools that we were using way back then and some of the things that we we may still see that um you know uh, that we were we were trying to use but but read you know things have changed a lot since then so maybe what we want to do is kind of like level set with some people that have been, maybe they've, they're new to this, maybe they've been around for a long time, but maybe we could do like a quick level set on the state of social media in today's podcast. And, and we'll get into a little bit of some of the stuff that you've done and talk about how hospitals are doing it. We have a good article and we also have uh, an interview later with Lee Acey from the Mayo Clinic about, um, about social media. There you go. The Godfather. <laughs> of all things hospital social media so now that'll be good uh, and we've um, really been looking forward to having Lee on the podcast for some time mm-hmm. because obviously the three of us have spent a lot of time together since 2009 probably which mm-hmm. is uh, you know we're, we're getting close to a decade now um, and so some of those things you mentioned don't exist anymore and so not to get too far on the strategy track but I think a lot of the things that we see is you know people you know wanting to know how to use certain platforms which is fine but maybe it's a better use of time and effort and energy to understand that you know these things do change you know some of the big things that we've seen is you know that uh, the big big changes that have occurred recently have been around how most of the social platforms are starting to become uh, very different in in the way they're publishing content. They're giving users a lot more uh, choices over how they want to get content. Um, but they're also that organic reach of social media is, I think, one of the biggest challenges now. Because partly because there's a lot of people that are out there on these platforms. Way back when, when you created your hospital Facebook page, it was pretty easy for you to you know, well, not easy, but you know, it was it was relatively straightforward for you to start to gather and grow an audience but now mm-hmm. now some of the algorithm changes and stuff are really making it much more difficult for organizations to actually reach these people organically and so um, you know that t- tagged on right to that is uh, is the fact that I feel really that social media is becoming more and more of a paid approach the organizations are starting to become really more uh, focused on well what are the great effective ways that we can do advertising and, uh, you know, Facebook advertising, targeted advertising, that sort of thing? Well, I think along those lines, I think it's important to remember that uh, these platforms are not very old either. So they've evolved a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so to your point, you used to have, you know, organic was all you had, Mm -hmm. right? And then they added the ad component or paid component several years ago, and that has become increasingly, uh, at least now even, uh, possibly the only way that you're actually going to reach anybody. I mean, unless you've got a very substantial uh, size audience, you know, you're going to hit very, very few uh, with just um, organic posts. But people are much more willing, uh, I think, to engage with us uh, in the way that they would like. So ratings and reviews, checking in, things like that on Facebook, for example. 
it doesn't matter if you're there or not. You know, they're going to create that that location page within Facebook. They're going to check in. They're going to leave reviews, things like that. And so uh, we don't have as much of a chance uh, or much of a choice, I should say, to not be there um, as we did in the past or say, hey, we're only going to have this one brand page and we're not going to have, you know, ones for all the different locations. Um, you know, so you really have to have a strategy, you really have to have people there participating and, you know, monitoring is becoming harder and harder to do because there's more and more, you know, things to monitor quite honestly. And the audiences are growing too. Right. And well, and let's speak about the audiences too, because I see a lot of, a lot of organizations that are starting to approach their social media planning, understanding their audiences. And what's, what's cool about it is that as the platforms have evolved, they've evolved the ability to give you better information about who's using using these, these platforms. So you are getting more data um, on your customers, spending time uh, developing social media personas and understanding which, pers- which platforms are the best platforms to communicate on, start to segment your audiences a little bit. You know, and then once you start to get that better understanding of all of these different social platforms, it's, uh, it's also understanding how to use and develop strategies to reach these different types of audiences, strategies that aren't just like, we're going to engage with the community. Now what they're doing is it's getting very specific. We're trying to reach patients and health seekers, and we have another social media strategy to engage in fundraising. And even even segmented within that, right? So it's like I'm trying to reach mothers that have high-risk pregnancies or expecting multiples or whatever it is, you know, so. Because virtually everybody is using social media nowadays, you could look at any kind of major stakeholder audience that you're looking at. Some, uh, I see some organizations now starting to develop pop, uh, population health strategies using their social accounts to do more preventative intervent- intervention type of work and um, maybe not necessarily like sharing in a wide cast uh, population health to like their larger audiences, but developing specific communities in Facebook or, or other platforms where they could start to reach these kind of high risk populations. The physicians are starting to use social in two ways. One is to develop and, and promote their, their public profile, so to speak. And I know a couple episodes back, we talked with Brian Vardavidian, who uh, actually developed this concept of a public doctor or a public physician, right? Practicing openly through social channels and and he's got a lot of great information on his blog 33charts.com as a way to kind of help doctors he's even got a book about how doctors are starting to develop their online reputation and starting to develop and engage communicate directly with health seekers but then there are also these peer-to-peer social networking sites for physicians so i mean you look at something like a doximity for example there's different ones out there, but a way, you know, a way for peers, you know, physicians to connect other physicians in the same specialty, different specialties. And even in a more informal standpoint, it could just be hashtag based. You know, I know there's a very popular hashtag called MedEd, uh, like MED. ED, so it's uh, education around medicine. So you have a lot of residents, fellows, and then physicians that are involved in more of that teaching or academic setting, uh, participating there, sharing resources, things like that. And much like that, you would see that with, um, you know, even potentially healthcare marketers, you know, communication professionals using uh, social networks. So it could be LinkedIn, could be groups within LinkedIn, could be uh, could be Twitter, for example, uh, of ways to connect with other people like them 
and really build out that network where they've got, you know, a sounding board for when, you know, they're wanting to do something and not sure how. You know, a great example of this is the Mayo Clinic social media network. I know we'll hear from Lee later, but the ability to, again, you know, that network is built to facilitate conversation between people who do similar jobs around the country. And obviously it doesn't take a lot to realize what the benefit of that might be. Quite frankly, there's a lot of ways and a lot of different strategies that they could adapt. But, you know, we, we could sit here and we could talk about it. We sound like when we when you go to conferences and you hear about all these great things that people are doing around social media. But Reed, you recently did some research just in the state of Texas. And it might be good for us to talk a little bit about some of the findings that you had from that. Because what what's interesting is, is that while we're talking about social as being very complex and future forward and all of these things, that the reality of the situation is we're probably not as hospitals and health systems really on that bleeding edge quite yet. Is that right? You know, what Chris is mentioning is some work that we've done uh, in partnership with the Texas Hospital Association where we really went back and looked at, you know, there wasn't a great way uh, for folks uh, anywhere, not just in Texas. This just happens to be, you know, where we did this. But there's not a great way to benchmark or understand, you know, where where you fit, where you stand in the social media uh, landscape. This went much further than than just social media. Went to the rating and review sites and some other digital properties and things like that. But wanted to try to give a little bit of indication around some benchmarking, at least in Texas, so other hospitals in Texas could understand: Are we an outlier or not? Uh, and one of the things that Chris is referencing, as far as us not being quite as advanced, is is maybe. Some of us think we are, or at least hope we are, is we ask the simple question, can you access social media, um, i.e. Facebook or Twitter, can you access those sites from inside the hospital, on the hospital network, on the intranet? About 8 out of 10 said no. Whoa. So... Um, wow. And we, we would have hoped we would have been a little bit further along. So to talk about things like Facebook at work may still be premature. You know, and I feel like when we mentioned that we've been having some of these conversations since 2009, we've literally been having this conversation since 2009. It will eventually happen, just like there's no question now that a new employee will get an email address. You know, there'll become a point in time. It may not be Facebook. It may not be Twitter. You know, we won't be blocking access internally to a lot of these things. I think it'd be important, though, for us to talk about new technologies or new platforms, too. You know, how organizations... Maybe should should they start looking at, you know, I, I know that if you go to any social media conference now, they're going to start talking about Snap, um, you know, Mastodon maybe, or some of these other new social platforms that are coming out. What are some ways that you would advise Reed uh, organizations when they see these new shiny social media platforms coming along? How, how should they approach us? But what I would recommend, quite honestly, and this is based off of just me personally and the way that I kind of work and, and the way that I learn, I have to use something for me to really understand, number one, how it works and what the use cases may be. And so I think all this boils back to what is the business case for this particular platform within this particular organization? Can a strategy be wrapped around it? What about content? Where is it going to fit? You know, what, How does it work? Who's going to use it? Does it meet the right audience for the use case, you know, et cetera. So I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we have enough folks within hospitals now that um, this is their, hopefully their primary function is some of the new media type channels. And we need to allow those folks uh, leeway, you know, so from a branding protection, go claim it, 
brand it, you know, make sure, um, you know, look and look and see how other people are using it. Look and see how, not necessarily in healthcare, but just what's the best use case for an organization. And then look at where does this fit? Does it fit within our strategies anywhere? Is there somewhere we can pilot something and have some measurable, you know, hey, if, if this is successful, this will have happened type of a metric. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be uh, anything too terribly complex, but it allows you to kind of put together a little bit of a business case to you know take it to a larger audience or say, you know what, we're, we're just too early to this. I still think there's something here. Uh, we need to revisit this. Anyway, it just kind of allows you to kind of build those next steps. Awesome. It all boils back to strategy. What, 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 what is news? Okay, in today's What's News section, I actually found an article read that was published at the end of last year by Fast Company, and it was actually a really good article because it broke down in a very succinct way how companies will start will use social media in 2017. And in the way the the actual the content was structured, I thought it was really good for us to use. We can use this as a way to kind of dive deep into some of this. You know, one of the things that the article first starts off with was the fact that they actually were calling 2016 the reach apocalypse in social media because of the major changes in the algorithms that occurred through many of the social platforms suddenly social media looked very scary to organizations in using that to achieve or to align with their business goals the first section they said is how we got here they talked a little bit of the history and really the 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 precipice of the of this article is around the fact that there's been so many algorithm changes so many changes to the platforms around technology and the way content is published and all these other ways to publish content through the same channels. And they said, you know, there's been this, one of the biggest things was this drop in organic reach. And in fact, very recently, there was an article that the Chicago Tribune digital director put out about the drop in the reach of their organic content. Yeah, I think, you know, the free ride is over. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I mean, if you want someone to see your content on these platforms, which they have every right to do, I mean, it's their their platform, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to pay for it. Again, th- there are some caveats there that appear to work pretty well with hospitals, at least, at least regional hospitals. For the most part, if you're trying to reach the public, the general public, you're going to put money behind it. Now, I, I do want to say, and I, and I think you know, the clarification here is a little bit, this is the proactive outreach with content, right? So this is, I'm pushing out something that I want someone else to see. This is not really germane, if you will, to more of the help desk or customer service use. Right. So if people want to reach you, they'll still reach you. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still triaging and seeing through some of the community management efforts that we that we currently do for folks. The it's just mind numbing what people will ask (laughs) Um, or bring to you through social media. So that's not going to stop. It may be, you know, a strategy change that, you know, these are customer service channels. This is about, you know, back to patient experience, voice of the customer, lots of the things that we've talked about up to this point. Those pieces I don't don't really see changing. I only see them amplifying. You know, we're getting more and more reviews on Facebook. We're getting more and more reviews on Yelp. You know, people are asking questions 
through Twitter, what this article really talks about, like how do you get your content out and st- and and keep that community building through that content with the algorithmic changes that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are doing. The author says it's time to come to grips with the hard truth that 2017 is going to present us with the fact that social media as we know it is not, it may not be dead, but it's surely dying. That means the social media that we knew from before is not the social media that will be in the future. And he goes on to talk about the fact that there's this social paradox. The ability to now start to highly target, the more you start to change your algorithms, the more you start to adopt towards this paid approach, what's happening is on the flip side is you now have this increased ability to really highly target people to be able to understand your audiences and understand all the different things that they're engaging with. It almost makes it cost effective in a lot of cases because you go and you look and somebody will say, man, but we're only going to reach 2000 people. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, let's what's you know what's the conversion rate of those two thousand people? How how engaged are those two thousand people going to be? Because it's much more cost effective to reach smaller numbers of folks, have a smaller you know reach and engagement there than it is you know to just you know spend a ton of money in a short period of time you know geographically blanketing you know areas uh, in a very general fashion. Some of that still needed brand awareness or maybe there's some location awareness that needs to happen, you know, or what have you. But yeah, to your point, I, I think that is it's a huge win and a huge opportunity. Really huge. Uh, it, but it's not just about, you know, paying to get your fo- get more followers now what it is. No. Right? Or it's like what is the old adage? You're not counting the number of people you reach, you're reaching the number of people that count now. There we go. I like that. Because social media is so prevalent now in our lives, and so many people use it, is that a recent McKinsey report showed that social influence is really now directly, measurably uh, impacting the way people purchase things. A product or a service is talked about on social. It's really impacting the way people are interacting with that brand in the future. And, you know, if anything bears that out is like, look what's happened over the last, you know, couple of weeks with United. That's in a negative aspect. But you hear also on the the flip side, any kind of positive discussion on social, what's happening is is it's actually yielding towards uh, helping companies uh, promote and impact their brand. It's word of mouth. So this stuff always existed. It's just here's another great example of how technology layered over what we've already done as a society, you know, drives business. The remainder of the article really focuses in on the way companies are going to leverage social media the most moving forward is by doing this is again towards promoting their content out to their audiences. This is not the service mm-hmm. recovery stuff, right? Sure. Is is creating a three-pronged approach. Blending paid social media with having your employees advocate and spread content further. And then lastly, right, inspire actual users or people that have had experience with your brand or your hospital to create their own content about you. Um, so let's break into each one of those uh, you know, specifically. The first one is advertising. We talked about that a lot, but let's go into a little bit further now. Many of the organizations that, um, or many of the partners or vendors that, that have had experience doing it for paid search, some similar aspects apply in these social channels. But 
there's new ways to advertise too in these social channels. It's not just putting ads out. It's not doing like those little ads that are on the right side of your Facebook feed, which no one really pays attention to anymore. One, one of the biggest things are these native ads, these promoted posts or these sponsored posts that are actually designed to look like normal ads or normal posts within the normal news feed. And that's one great way for organizations to really get their content out to the right people. Have a strategy where you're looking at uh, the organic content even that you're putting out there. And when it hits a certain threshold, you're boosting or putting money behind. That post that was organically created is going to perform, in a lot of cases, a lot better than what a true ad is going to perform as. Now, there's different ad types. And anytime those get introduced, you'll see a spike. So, for example, the carousel ad on Facebook, it was something that just looked entirely different. Yeah, you, know, you can still do some interesting things with those. You can Google and find tons of examples of that, of where the little images within that carousel all go together, you know, and you scroll to the right and it you know gives you a message or what have you. And we've done that around oh stroke awareness type stuff. Yeah, you know, there's still interesting ways to use some of those, but continuing to try to figure out ways to create good content. And once you get the audience feedback that that content is good, whatever that internal metric is, you know, having the the bandwidth to boost that for a few days, it's kind of a cool deal. Now you can not only boost it to people that are following you, which is interesting, but you can also boost to or promote to non-followers. And like we talked about, right, you could start to very highly segment and go after specific people. And I've worked with some organizations where we've had very hyper-local strategies using social media, Facebook and Instagram advertising to target specific communities or specific people within that communities that are both followers or non-followers of your brand and that allow for you to, to really get on that message or that, that content in front of them. The more we go into this and the more tools that are being introduced into that, there's also a little bit of a pushback, some ethical and maybe even some creepiness, right, associated with that. Yeah, I mean, that's especially around retargeting. You know, the idea that somebody visited a particular page on your website about something that... Um, you know, I don't know if sensitive is even the right word, but something they're just not ready to talk about or share or discuss in certain ways. Uh, they visit that information on your website, and then all of a sudden there's an ad following them around the Internet inside of Facebook or otherwise. And, you know, a lot of CRM vendors now are uh, leveraging uh, Facebook advertising to do that where they actually can, can track and integrate social with the CRM and actually put tracking code and, and deliver specific messaging and actually getting data about these social users and pulling that into your CRM, which, you know, if you hear about that from the outside, that becomes a little bit creepiness because now they're gathering more data than you actually gave to them. But but ultimately, really, what we're seeing here is that having the ability to really connect and, and bring goods paid approach. This is all paid stuff, right? They're not allowing this for free. will really help um, despite that. And the metrics, the measurement that come associated with it are really providing that valuable data to allow organizations to move more effectively using these tools. That That is the advertising portion. And if you look at the other two prongs, maybe even these are two sides of the same coin, but is, you know, consumer advocates and employee advocates. How do you identify, you know, those that have had a good experience experience uh, at your organization and have you allow them to then tell your story 
Uh, again, word of mouth is what that is. And then also, how do you engage and empower employees to spread content that you create, content that they create, etc.? But you know, a lot of that, and I'll speak to the employee piece first. A lot of that is how are we talking about social media to these employees? Are we talking about during orientation, annual safety fairs around HIPAA training and things like that? And are we giving them clear enough instruction on you can do this and you can't do that uh, without either overstepping or really just trying to foster that uh, amongst employees. Uh, because a lot of the folks that you talk to say, yeah, I mean, I would love to. I just don't know what I can do or supposed to do or not supposed to do. And with that being the case, I'm just not going to do anything. Well, and you know what they say, too, is that employees that um, share information has a higher level of engagement. So I see a lot of organizations that are developing guidelines around this is how we want our employees to promote these posts. And they're actually creating uh, strategies around the type of content that they want to create. And, and sometimes even creating content that's designed for their employees to share and promote through their own personal social platforms. You have to be careful, right? You, 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 want to, you, you don't want them to feel like it's compulsory. They, they want to feel like they, they want to be able to do this of their own accord. But, you know, I think that that's, that's really interesting and sophisticated to start leveraging your employees. That is, of course, if you open up access to social media, your health system, back to your earlier research, right? Yeah, you would have to actually give them access. Well, I say that. They all have iPhones or whatever anyway, so it doesn't really matter. They can still get to Facebook and all that stuff. Again, much like the things that we've talked about before, whether it be patient portal or, you know, all these other types of things, how do you reduce the friction? So how do you make it easy for the employee to share? share the content. If you're emailing out a graphic and saying, here's the blurb and here's the image and they've got to download the image and then they got to go over to another platform. Anyway, so that's where some of the stuff that comes in, some of the technology comes into play, like I think you were referencing or kind of alluding to, is there are platforms out there, there are technologies out there that allow you to disseminate content to employees and allows them with a quick, easy share, so to speak, uh, they're able to push that out via their own platforms and things like that. The other one is is the consumer advocacy piece. You know, this is a tough one. You know, you put the poster in the room that says write a review. Okay, you know, I mean, that's fine, I guess. And you see those at car washes and you see them, you know, I mean, everywhere. You see the Yelp sticker on the door at your local sandwich shop or what have you. How do you find the right consumers? How do you get them engaged? I mean, what, is, what does that look like? You know, how, how do you do that? user-generated content, that was the buzz term a couple years ago, right? Getting our users to write about us. And it was interesting the way organizations would approach that. And I say that because when we talk about it, like, you know, think about the typical brands that maybe have said, tell us your experience. I, re I remember like the McDonald's stories or what is it? Was it like McDonald hashtag McDonald's stories? Tag your story. And what happened was is that these hashtag strategies to try to get people to really yeah. quickly post things, they would get hijacked and people would say bad things things about it, right? Be careful what you ask for. Exactly, exactly. They may just tell you. I know that we're very much interested in getting users of our social platforms to communicate because when they do, that's really powerful. But how do you start to do that? And I think that the buzz term of 2017 is going to be around influencer marketing, being something on a social platforms where you try to get go after these, these people that are maybe some of the top power players in your social markets to try to get them to start writing about it. Now, this isn't new, right? Influencer marketing has been around. I remember 
what, five years ago, we were talking about mommy bloggers, and you create that into a hospital-specific sp- thing. But I think that the whole concept of social influencer marketing is going to become a bigger thing, as we see in 2017, primarily because oh, those people are still uh, unique. They're not brands, per se, and they're going to have a wider reach. And so I think more organizations are going to start to adapt trends around that. Basically, what we're saying is social media has now gone the way of all media. Like you're either going to have to buy an ad like you would on TV or radio, or you're going to have to do the word of mouth strategy and get people to advocate on your behalf, whether those are customers or employees. So social media is now just media. That's right. I mean, we, we already talked about digital marketing is not really a thing. It's just marketing. So this, this is the same thing. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, welcome to Touch Point, Touch Counterpoint, the ever popular segment of the podcast where Chris and I take opposing viewpoints, and I mean like polar opposite viewpoints, on the topic of the day. And we argue that whether we believe it or not. So sometimes whoever goes first, the other person just has to take what's left over. So these are not necessarily our viewpoints. Uh, Like always, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. It's not quite as black and white. Um, At least they haven't been to this point. A baker's dozen in. So with that said, we ended the um, the last news segment, if you will, of the podcast where I made the comment about social media just being media, that you really had to um, you know, pay to have something seen just like you would on TV or radio, and um, you, know, you were reduced to you know, trying to get employees and consumers to advocate on your behalf. So with that said, obviously, I believe that social media is now for brands, I should say, for brands, not individuals. It's just another media. So you you have to pay to play. You know, when you say these things, I have a visceral reaction because (laughs) deep in my core, I, I feel that social media is much more than just a media platform. And we even alluded to it earlier on in the, in the conversation when we were talking about that there is the ability for users to use this as a a service recovery customer service vehicle. It allows us to, uh, allows people to, when they're using it, to do reviews. There are so many aspects about social media that are more than just uh, a promotion medium. I, 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 I just don't know if I can agree with you that it's just a media. But it is because if you're going to push anything out on any of these channels and you want anyone to see it, now, I'm sure there's probably that, that very initial stage of early adopters, then there's not as many users on a platform, yada, yada, yada. But like in the grand scheme of things on Facebook now, don't waste your time creating content for Facebook. Just build ads. Like there's no, there's no need. Or have a strategy in place to boost it because that's the only way anybody's going to see it. But, but the very ads that you create should be based on good content, good content that can actually feed into your social platforms. I mean, if you, if you aren't able to use the social aspect of social media to pr- pr- promote a social message, something that resonates to your organic followers, I mean, that's one of the most important concepts of social media, Reed. 
Yeah, but it doesn't matter. This is the tree falls in the woods thing. If somebody creates organic content on Facebook, will anybody read it? No. No, they won't. It has to be an ad. You have to at least boost it. You know, the seven the seven people that work at the hospital that happen to see it, I mean, what does that matter? They're not going to share it anyway. But the, the, the platforms themselves actually allow you to, if you are a follower of the social platform, to actually say, I always want to see this. In fact, I, my local TV uh, station always says it. It says, follow us on Facebook and click on the little icon and say, we always want to see content. Uh, content from us, the, there is still a, a need or a demand for having that organic content that you could share with your followers. Because ultimately, as we talked about, we want to have those people to be able to share that, be it your employees or be it your users, to be able to take that organic content and promote it. They're not going to sit there and, and, and promote one of your ads. Sure they will. Half the time they don't even know it's an ad. If you do it right... So you put the content in front of the right people in at the right time, and it'll resonate with them, and they'll engage with it. That's great for the news station, you know, to do that. But I don't know that everybody's going to want to see everything from the hospital because not all the content relates to them. Unlike a news station, which the weather every day is important to them. Now they may, I mean, they may be able to look outside and go, "It's not as important today," but like that's. That's pretty much across the spectrum. People, you know, the the weather is relevant to them. You start breaking that into like service lines, that's not relevant to everybody. But what happens if you have a crisis or an emergency at your campus? What do you, what channel are you going to use to communicate that? I remember working in a hospital when we had an earthquake and all the power lines went out. The only way I was able to communicate to everybody that the hospitals were safe is through Twitter. I mean, are you saying that that medium is, is gone away too? No, I think that's a great use case for it. But if you want anybody to see it, you're still going to have to put money behind it. So wait, now you're suggesting that we're going to promote... So you, you need, yeah, you need to have a contingency fund for your natural disaster social media advertising. <laughs> uh, Reed, I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but, you know. <laughs> I'd like to try to get that through as a line item on somebody's marketing budget. If anybody's willing to put that in, I'd like to know how that conversation goes. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying, though. I have to say, okay, this is the point where we try to, we're tying it back together to the reality, because the reality is somewhere in between. I totally agree with what you're saying, in, in that from a promotional perspective, you do have to treat it like a, a common medium. You do have to look at it now from a paid perspective. You do have to look at this. But there's that whole other, other side of the equation that I think you have to look at. Yeah. Absolutely. I, again, it's it's somewhere in the middle. So <laughs> you're gonna have to you're gonna have to promote it if you want anybody to see it. But don't go down that path until you've got your strategy and your content plan in place. And make sure you have a contingency fund for your advertising when that natural disaster occurs. Yeah, make sure your agency's on the hook for that too, so they're <laughs> so you can get a hold of them to place the ads. <laughs> oh man. Welcome to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast today, and today's topic, we're talking about social media, and when Reed and I were thinking about this topic, and uh, we, we immediately thought of one of the preeminent persons, maybe even, I won't call you the grandfather of social media, 
Well, actually, that's the thing is that you know we we've talked before about how Ed Bennett, who you had on earlier, was is the godfather of healthcare social media. I'm the grandfather because I really am a grandfather <laughs> with nine grandchildren. Uh, with, by the end of this year, we'll have nine grandchildren. Oh so I'm goodness. the grandfather of healthcare social media. So that voice is Lee AC with the Mayo Clinic. Um, Lee, you and I have known each other a long time, but um, I know and many people who are listening know who you are. But why don't we give a little introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so after working in politics and government for uh, 14 years or so, mm-hmm. I came to Mayo Clinic in 2000 as a member of the media relations team. Uh, over the next three years, I worked pitching stories and telling stories about Mayo Clinic research advances and then patient stories with the appropriate consents. In 2003, I became the manager of that team. And it was about 2005 that I heard about podcasting. Uh, so the, it's like what what's old is new again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did we did the uh, sort of the anti podcast. It was the hypochondriac podcast. It was a, a, a compilation of our sixty second daily radio segments that we we're already producing. Uh, but that was our our first foray into this stuff and. Being at the right place at the right time with the big brand Mayo Clinic, you know, we got featured on the front page of iTunes for about three weeks, and we saw our downloads just go crazy, and that just got us some internal traction that maybe there's something to this. And since then, it's been a series of just trying to do the next thing that seemed smart at the time, and thankfully, most of them worked out okay. Um, but we moved from media relations, you know, so media rela- originally this is a way to do media relations better. Uh, but saw the opportunity to go directly to the patients and consumers um, to share the in-depth knowledge from our subject experts and also to do better show and tell on the stories when we're pitching journalists that instead of having to have them um, instead of having to get on the phone and describe what it's all about we could show them see this is it and um, then in 2010 we created what was then the Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media and the Social Media Health Network in 2015, those became combined. Mm-hmm. But our mission is to try to help uh, Mayo Clinic go beyond the the, uh, the PR and marketing while still doing well with the PR and marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, table stakes, you need to do that well. Mm-hmm. But to see how can we really encourage this throughout the organization in clinical practice and education and research in administration, just operating better, making healthcare better instead of just um, tooting our horn, so to speak. Right. So that's it. That's well, what we're about. Well, that's it. You make it sound so simple, <laughs> right? But I mean, I think that this is uh, some of the things, and having been involved with you professionally mm-hmm. through the, the network mm-hmm. and for, for since the onset, mm-hmm. really, we've yeah. known each other that long. Uh, Reed and I um, are always impressed by. Every time we come here to Mayo, the the way you've built a team, and really it's more than just the team, it's the whole culture of Mayo, and I've been at all campuses, that there's this sort of an openness to um, utilizing these tools. And and when we do some of these fellowship, or, or the residencies and things like that, we see that there's such a widespread of people from Mayo that are actually wanting to learn more, wanting to consume more, wanting to be part of social media. You meet with a lot of hospitals uh, through this space. Tell me what you see. Is that reflective of the entire country or or even the world? Well, it's interesting. We did a survey three years ago, three, four years ago, where mm-hmm. uh, as part of putting together a toolkit for opening up access to mm-hmm. social media, 
and it wasn't a scientific survey. I mean, it was it was a Twitter-based survey, and we were sending out links to say, "Hey, if you if you'd like to fill out our survey, let us know." But we found out at that time that it was about probably in that eighty to eighty-five percent blocked at least some people. Wow. You know, at least, and so that was back then. Um, I I hope we made some progress, and I think practically because of everybody having a smartphone or a tablet with their own data plan. It becomes less relevant in that way, but it also does send a bad signal. It says we don't trust you, and we think you're going to be wasting your time, or there are various other mm-hmm. objections that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we worked uh, and put together this with Ed Bennett helping mm-hmm. to lead it. Uh, put together a, a white paper in sort of the informal social media sense of things, where we looked at some of the major objections that we've heard. Uh, we answered those objections, and we definitely have seen that there have been many hospitals that have been able to open up access, you know, using the tools because of mm-hmm. having Mayo Clinic say, "Hey, we're open, and we think you should be too." Right, um, sends a good signal. You actually actively encourage people to participate. Tell us a little bit about that. I think a big part of it is it really comes down to our organization history and our DNA. Mm-hmm. Our founders, Dr. Will and Dr. Charlie Mayo, came of age during the golden age of surgery, 1880s, when, wow, there's so much new stuff happening all the time because of advances in, in anesthesia and then aseptic surgical techniques just made it possible to do a lot more. And the fact that they were brothers was just such a great thing because one could stay home while the other traveled to learn from others and then brought back those lessons. In his lifetime, the older brother, Dr. Will Mayo, traveled to 25 countries on four continents. And this was, you know, he died in 1939, so it was before the age of air travel. So that that long-standing commitment that to be the best, we got to learn from others and bring those those lessons back. And then also the openness they had that they they welcomed 3,400 physicians between 1908 and 1918 to come see them here. You know, so coming by boat and then by train uh, to observe them in surgery. So knowing that that's our our history, our bedrock DNA, um, it enabled us to make the the connection uh, to make the analogy that this is just the way that same kind of analog social networking happened in the past. It's the new way that is happening now. I think there's an understanding that word of mouth has been so important for so long uh, that this is just the way that the same way that our employees make our brand, make our reputation in their face-to-face interactions with patients and their families when they're here. If we can provide a way for them to be pleasant, helpful people online too, that that would uh, reflect well on the organization and support that uh, growth of the brand. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about like how that actually is realized, right? How do you engage doctors? It's been really interesting. Dr. Ferris Tamimi is our medical director. He's a cardiologist who specializes in transplant, you know, uh, heart failure and pre-transplant, uh, tre- mm-hmm. pre-transplant population. It's been interesting to see what's happened with him over the years because, well, first of all, having a physician champion, so having the physician administrator partnership, um, gives a level of credibility within those physician audiences that we wouldn't otherwise have, having that top leadership. Um, but he he's said that over time the questions are changing. Okay, it used, there used to be a lot more skepticism. There used to be, is this really worth my time? Mm-hmm. Now people are coming to him saying, hey, we need to have a. Uh, Facebook page for this or a Twitter account for that. 
and then we have to walk them back a little bit and, <laughs> and say, okay, let's let's talk about whether that kind of thing makes mm-hmm. sense or whether your individual presence is what matters. But mm-hmm. um, that, uh, along with providing the on-demand training that we have, so we used to have just the one-day course, the social media residency, mm-hmm. um, in addition to some Twitter brown bags and some other things that we do on a on an as-needed basis. But the fact that we worked with Hootsuite to create an online course called Social for Healthcare Certificate that goes through, you know, in 20 minutes you can learn Twitter, you know, another 20 minutes you can learn LinkedIn. You can have a profile that's set up well that will represent you professionally well. And the fact that we can now make that available on demand instead of it being, um, you have to wait until two or three times a year that we hold this day-long course that you have to devote the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a big, big help. Yeah, I can imagine. Is that available for other organizations? It is. So that's something that we make available through the Mayo Clinic social media network. And that's part of, the again, the DNA of Mayo Clinic. That, you know, the Surgeons Club was this group of these surgeons who came to Rochester, Minnesota to watch the Mayo Brothers operate. Um, that was part of their ethos. So they said, hey, we should share. We should let others learn from us, too. Uh, when we created the Center for Social Media in 2010, part of the goal of this was to say, we have been endowed with this great legacy um, and this history, and social media is an important thing in healthcare, uh, should be taken advantage of. Um, and if we can help our colleagues in other institutions do that, we should do that. We have an, actually a moral responsibility to do that, to help them along. So that it's a CME course, so it's accredited for CME uh, for physicians, but it's also helpful for those who are leading communications within a, within an organization, whether in communications or marketing, for them to get certified. You know, it gets them that that uh, seal of approval. That uh, and and it it's helped them think about it more strategically instead of just hey, oh, we should have a Facebook page, we should have a Twitter account. Right. Uh, they're able to think uh, more in a business sense about right. it. Here at Mayo, it's also everybody. You're encouraging everybody. So talk a little bit about that. Well, we started with the employee orientation. So when people start at Mayo Clinic, mm-hmm. they we've got a. It's now a two and a half minute video. We used to have an eight minute video. It's better now. Uh, that just introduces people to the resources that we have. So when we created the Mayo Clinic social media network site, the first purpose is to have that be the hub for our Mayo Clinic staff. And so they get the premium level access. They get free access to the online training, the, the social media basic certificate. Uh, but then for other organizations outside of Mayo, if with a premium membership, they get access to a certain number of these training um, you know, modules, but they also get access for all their employees to participate in the discussions, to join in the webinars, and it's it's our way of building a broader movement, a bigger movement. Um, but the fact that we have it for you know for our employees that, that's part from day one with orientation and that we're developing some platforms that use the same hosting you know platform as the social media network that are more employee, directly employee-oriented or employee-exclusively-oriented uh, is a way of drawing them in and, and letting them know. Now, with this, um, certainly there are certain supervisors who have different opinions of different generations. You know, sure. um, but, but by having good guidelines that we've had in place since 2009 and have modified slightly over time, you know, we create the expectation that it can't interfere with your work. The most important thing you have to do is provide the best care and and the best win is when your patients go home and, and post something on Facebook versus you posting something on Facebook. Right. 
by the same token, there's news that we um, that we publish and that we'd like our employees to be involved in sharing, and we want to equip them to do that. And uh, so far, it's been really exciting to That's, see how they've yeah. stepped up. It's tremendous to just engage your employees, mm-hmm. giving them that level of trust. They become those advo- advocates for your brand, and that. That's just generally a rising tide lifts all the ships in this case, right? So I think the, the network side is a great place for organizations that are looking to you know, approach openness of the social media. It's a great place to start. What are some other tips or suggestions would you give, would you give organizations? Uh, I think the first thing is that they need to get their guidelines in place. I don't think they need to necessarily have a separate policy, but they need to have an interpretation of their existing policies in terms of what that means in, in social. Often it helps to have um, a Reed Smith or a, or a Chris Boyer or somebody like that come in and you know provide some um, leadership discussion you know to get the leadership on board so that they're really understanding because if you have the top level buy-in I mean when we had Dr. Noseworthy come to us in 2009 and you know knew we were already doing a lot but saying I think there might be something more here and maybe we should consider a more strategic investment that was just like ding 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 the lights mm-hmm. coming on saying here's an opportunity for a, and a, a you know a signal that we have a chance to dream a little bit and see what would make sense, what would be in keeping with our fundamental values for Mayo Clinic. So I, I get asked a lot, so what, what do you think's next? What's next in the horizon? And I, you know, I'm really lousy at that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, uh, the metaphor I use is MacGyver. You know, MacGyver never invented anything, mm-hmm. uh, but he did take the things that were laying around and assemble them in a way that accomplished what he needed to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's really the kind of approach that we've taken with it is that, you know, we're not going to develop the new technologies, but as we try to understand the technologies that, that are, come, are becoming so abundant, mm-hmm. you know, how can we harness those to accomplish, whether it's, again, clinical practice, education, research, what's, whatever the mission is, that these are just fundamentally powerful uh, communication tools and we should figure out how to best adapt them for our purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the part of our interview where we can plug a little bit about the network site because okay. I think that's an undertapped resource. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's give the URL, maybe mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about it. Okay, well it's socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. This is our uh, community site and interestingly having created that we're able to clone it and use it for other purposes too like our Mayo Clinic Connect patient-to-patient site, our Mayo Clinic News Network site, but this has been the, the learning laboratory where we developed the owned uh, social presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the network site, we've got, um, first of all, basic membership is available to everyone for free. So if you're interested in just checking out, just go there and click the join button and put in your email address. You can get the basic membership for free. We do have the premium options too, but within the basic membership, you have the opportunity to uh, participate in three of our webinars per year that we make available to the to just the basic members. Um, PDF and Kindle versions of our book, which is bringing the social media revolution to healthcare. Uh, commenting in the blog posts, so the, all the blog posts and the news you can use. Uh, for those in the premium level, we do have then the the monthly webinars. Um, so all of the webinars. Otherwise, you can get them on a for ninety five dollars for just one. Yeah. Um, and then there's the member discussion forum, and that's one of the things that's really helpful. That's, that's for the premium members, and it's a chance for them to be able to ask in a safe place, ask questions in a, in a place where it's uh, supportive, where everybody's really got your back. Everybody's trying to help uh, 
uh, move this along and, and give good guidance. Yeah, it's a great resource. So socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. That's it. <clears throat> okay, great. Well, Lee, if uh, people want to reach out to you, I know you're really busy to travel the world talking about social media, but um, and thank you for your time today. But what's a great way for people to, like, maybe if they have further questions, want to reach out to you, follow you, or... Follow me on Twitter, at Leasey, L-E-E-A-A-S-E. Um, but the, uh, having a relatively unique name like that, that's pretty much my username everywhere because uh, I've usually been one of the first one. I'm the first one with that name to, mm-hmm. to get in. Uh, that's a great uh, first part. Or else uh, Social Media Center at mayo.edu is our uh, inbox for the for the network. Um, and that's um, that'll get triaged. That's monitored uh, every day by you know whether I'm out or not. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Well, thank you again for all your time and the information, Lee. Well, glad to be with you and really appreciate your uh, long-time friendship and help in in what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Same. So, thanks. Okay, we're closing out the episode 13 about social media. There was a lot of good stuff in this this episode read and a lot of um, interesting conversations. We're, we say this a lot, but we're only scratching the surface. I think that we can get into various different aspects of social media and just dedicate whole podcasts to it, and I think we will. Um, and so we would really love to hear from everybody who's listening what part of the social media conversation you'd li- like for us to dive into a little deeper. But having said that, as we're closing out the show in our last segment here, we always do two things. We talk about what's coming up. And then we give our recommendations. So, Reed, why don't you tell tell people a little bit about what we're doing? Absolutely. So, we have talked about this uh, quite a bit, but it is now upon us. Uh, We are just days away from the 2017 Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit that's happening in Austin as part of the Forum for Healthcare Strategists. So, we will be there. We will be recording a, uh, I guess, a podcast in front of a live studio audience. And if you are attending the conference and would like to check that out, uh, track one of us down, either in person, on Twitter, online, LinkedIn, whatever whatever works for you. We'll tell you a little bit more about when and where, uh, but it's going to be on that Tuesday afternoon. And uh, we would love to have you in the audience and even potentially participate. In addition to that, we are going to have impromptu, I guess, recordings, interviews, etc., uh, where we may pull you aside and ask your thoughts on a particular topic, get your thoughts on the conference, whatever it may be, and uh, use those in upcoming episodes. So it'll be fun to be there, be on site, see everybody. Um, we'd love for you to uh, hang out and check out the podcast. Uh, but more, even more than that, we would just love to see you say hi, connect, etc. And by the way, if you're going to the conference, make sure you attend the session that I'm speaking at with Marcy Edwards from MultiCare Health System, as well as Vanessa Hughes, who is with Essentia Health. We're going to be talking about leveraging digital to transform the patient experience and talk about the, the path that these two organizations are taking to start to embrace this fuller digital patient experience approach that that we talk about a lot in this podcast. And that's Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Um, definitely come come check us out. Looking forward to seeing you all down in Austin. It should be a lot of fun. So to wrap up this episode, and again, all this will be in the show notes, all the links that we've mentioned, um, all the information about the uh, 
the Forum for Healthcare Strategists, etc. cetera. Uh, but to wrap it up, recommendations, mm-hmm. what do you have? Okay, so I'm going to recommend a TV show. And the reason why I'm recommending it is that the third season just started last week. The show is Fargo. Now, Ooh. Fargo is a great show. It's based on uh, the movie Fargo from the Coen brothers way back when, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which interestingly was mostly set in Minnesota. They had they developed into a TV show. Seasons one and seasons two are available for streaming on, on Hulu. If you're a member of Hulu, you could see them. Really great episodes, uh, really great seasons, I should say. Um, great actors that are being are, are part of it. And season three just started. Now, the the storyline of Fargo is it's it's typically focuses in on on crime doing crime doers and the mafia uh, and some of the things that they they get into in the in the setting of small little up, upstate Minnesota towns and yes. uh, and yeah and North Dakota towns um, really good I have to say though that um, season three is really up to is really starting off really strong Ewan McGregor is starring in a dual role. He's playing twin brothers. And even the first episode just started out really strong, and um, it looks to be really good. So check it out. Stream it on Hulu. Um, and then you can also uh, just catch the new seasons and new episodes that are on FX that are broadcasting now. Very nice. Very nice. I'm going to have to go back and <clears throat> start binge-watching that. So that'd be a- I am also recommending a TV show. Has not been on the air in years, but is on Netflix. Bob Ross, Beauty is Everywhere. Mm. So those that remember Bob Ross, he was an oil painter that was on, I believe, PBS, if I remember right. And is the most relaxing television show I've ever seen in my life. Matter of fact, on Netflix, there's Bob Ross, kind of the traditional one, and you can watch all the seasons and all the different, and basically he goes through an episode and paints. Mm-hmm. Well, paints a uh, usually a uh, nice landscape. Now there's a whole separate episode of Chill with Bob Ross, and literally will put you to sleep. Like, that's what it's meant to do. So, if you like something relaxing, you have a hard time falling asleep, Check out Chill with Bob Ross, and it is uh, the most spectacular thing you'll ever see in your life. So it's on Netflix. Again, we'll have links. Um, You can actually buy his paints and brushes and stuff still at Hobby Lobby, I think. But um, it's uh, he's he's great. Love the guy. That is awesome. I know. I I I love Bob Ross. I used to watch him all the time. I'll have to see that. I saw that being promoted on on Netflix. I have to check that out. Never know what you're gonna find here. Uh, Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, hanging out with us again this week. Uh, Again, as a quick reminder, if you would uh, be so kind, if you find this to be valuable, to recommend this to a friend or family member, maybe not a family member, but maybe a friend in the industry, maybe your boss, you know, things like that. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if your family's into it, that's cool. And then, uh, obviously importantly, if you would please subscribe so you can get these each and every time that they're new over on iTunes. And then while you're there, if you'll rate and review us, that would be spectacular. Awesome. Awesome. Reed. Well, nice way to put the bow at the end of this, uh, Baker's Dozen here, number 13 podcast. So great. So happy to be doing this with you. I am at Chris Boyer. He is at Reed Smith. And we'll see you all next week.